You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling in the Helping Spirits. So I begin first by reaching out to your ancestors and to mine, to all of those ancestors who lived well and died well and are already ready to be our ancestral helping spirits. I call out to these people who met the challenges of their time in a good way, who found within that challenge their integrity, their truth, and their authenticity. I call out to these ancestors that found in their time the vision for a better future. Those who learned the dreaming and learned the way to call out for something that was better than what they had for those who were coming. I call out to these ancestors who bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to us. And I ask them to be with us, to stand with us, to help us, to help the living do what the living have come into these lives to do and to do it in a good way and in a way that creates a beautiful world for those who are coming to be born into. And so I ask these ancestors to be with us strong and true, to whisper in our ears, to speak out to us in our journeys, to be with us in our dreams and to help us to become the men and the women we were born to be. And with the ancestors gathering around, let's draw our own awareness from wherever it might be into our heads and from our heads to our hearts and our hearts to our bellies and from our bellies, let's reach our energy down to touch the earth and take a moment, just a moment to touch the earth. Stop yourself for a moment and touch the earth to say thank you, to give gratitude to the earth for her abundance, for without that abundance, nothing here would be living. So we give great gratitude for life, for this day, and for all this day brings us. We give thanks for all our life has brought to us, all that has brought us on this journey to this point in time. We give thanks for this time, and we give thanks for all that is to come. We give great gratitude to the earth for diversity, for constant teachings all around us of a good way to be in the world with all living things, and for the awesome reality that regardless of how we choose to engage in our day we still carry within us a miracle and that is the miracle of life and may we learn to live in a way that honors this miracle that we carry so with great awe and gratitude may our hearts open to the earth as we reach down through all the layers of the earth offering our gratitude as we go as we move down and down and down through all the layers of the earth let us give thanks until we touch the very center of the earth And let us breathe in the stillness, the silence, the darkness. And let us draw this energy in to restore and replenish and renew ourselves. And as we draw this earth energy up, 
Let it come into our life, into these proceedings, into our bodies in a way that brings us rejuvenation and gives us the energy that we need to understand how to choose to be grounded, to choose to have boundaries and to protect ourselves in a way that is not adversarial, but in a way that assures that we will contain ourselves in a way that lets us focus and bring our true gifts to the world. And we call on this energy of the earth to help us to understand how to find that place that we stand in life and to know what we stand for and to create a sense of home, a sense of belonging, a sense of hearth that we would call others to, to share. And may we do this in a way that is not based in a sense of place or nationalism, but is based in our own heart. And let us welcome the other to us that we might learn from those who are very different than we are. And we ask the energy of the earth to help us to understand connection. And from connection to interconnection. And from that interconnection, ultimately let us expand out to understand ourselves as part of this great web of life. And from our place in that great web, let us come into right relationship with ourself. Right relationship then with others, right relationship with the environment, and right relationship with the invisible world. And with all of these connections and interconnections brewing in our life, let us draw the energy up from our belly to our heart and our heart to our mind and extend this energy up and out into the sky above. And from the sky above, out through the atmosphere, and out into the cosmos, and all the way out through all the heavenly bodies, and the great mysteries of our universe, we reach out to the highest power in our universe. And we connect with this energy. We know it in us, and us in it. And we draw this energy down into our day, into these proceedings, and into our body. We draw in blessing. We draw in protection. We draw in devotion and commitment and generosity and the inspiration to use it. We draw in the benevolence and the beneficence of our universe. We draw in all the wisdom of the cosmos. We draw this into ourselves, into our day, and we invite our mind, our heart, and our belly to use it. As we draw this energy all the way down and touch the center of the earth. And in this way, we bring together the two great lovers, earth and sky, heaven and earth. We draw these energies together within us and let the two great lovers meet. And in that big love that is inspired by this meeting, let our hearts awaken. And as our heart awakens into that big love, let it open up that great crucible of transformation that is found only in the human heart. And let the heart call up the fiery passions of your belly, drawing them up into the heart to be danced. And we draw down the crystal clarity of the mind, the ability to see what is going on around us and what is going on within us. And we draw that energy down into the heart as well and let it dance. And we let these two energies so very different dance together. And in that dynamic rhythm and movement Let them give birth to the third and most sacred thing that lives there in your heart, which is your memory of why you are here. And may you find in your human heart the courage to do something large or small in this day to bring those gifts, whatever they might be, ever more present and ever more manifest in your life. 
And we give great thanks for all the helping spirits gathering around us that assist us in every day in doing what we've come here to do. And we give thanks for those gathered around us here today for these proceedings. So I give a special thanks to Derek and Duane, Sherwood, Katrina, Sylvia, Teresa, and all of you who have donated to the show financially. You do help me keep the show live and on the air because there are many technical bills that must be paid for this to happen. And this allows the show to be available and free all five-plus years of the show to anyone who can access the Internet anywhere in the world. And I give great gratitude to you for helping me to make that a reality because there are people that email me every week thanking you for keeping the show alive and on the air because they can't right now but the teachings they're receiving from listening to the show are helping them to change their life so that someday they will be able to give in a way that makes things possible for others and in this way we make the possible what feels impossible possible to our brothers and sisters around the world in our own homes even our neighbors and i give thanks to you for helping me to make this real why shamanism now has been 100 percent listener supported for the last two years and i am um unbelievably grateful that you helped me to make this happen since so many people told me that was impossible and so if the show moves you in any way even if it moves you to irritation and frustration, that gives you a great email to send. But at the same time, it means you've been moved in the heart. So whether you're moved through inspiration or irritation, you have been moved in the heart. And let that movement motivate you into action. For this is the essence of shamanic teachings. That our actions in the world are motivated by what moves our heart. And so I ask you to do something, large or small, to help the show um, grow. Whether that is donating from the whyshamanismnow.com show website at the donate button, any amount, large or small, any currency, we don't care. All of it um, keeps the show on the air. You're also welcome to email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org if you need a regular old address for a regular old check. That's fine. But also thank you for all the many ways you communicate about the show, use the show, share it. Um, Invite other people to listen and continue to help the show to grow and to become stronger and more relevant in our world today. So thank you. We are not live today because I'm actually up in Canada at the BC Shamanic Conference and I invite you all to join me there. Um, in the meantime, though, if you do have questions about today's show, you're welcome to email me at Christina at lastmaskcenter.org and I'd be happy to potentially turn your questions into another show. We never know. So today's show is about the visionary power in shamanism. So the visionary capacity in shamanism manifests in many forms. Um, for example, just today I got a message from someone sharing this um, very long and involved waking vision and wondering what the hell he was supposed to do with that. Um, I'm not really sure I have an answer, but vision in its many different manifestations is a huge aspect of shamanism. And before I go any further on this show, let me uh, share with you that I mean vision in quotes. There are many ways we see or know things, and they aren't all visual. It's just the nature of our language um, that speaks to that. But 
um, if we understood the visionary in a more ancient shamanic way, we would understand that that would mean not so much the one who sees things, but simply the one who receives things. Whether we see it or hear it or sense it in our being, um, whether we know it in some way, these are all the ways that we receive um, knowing or vision of that which does not yet exist, that which we are not directly looking at with our physical eyeballs. Okay, so know that as we talk about vision today, I do not mean exclusively those who see. I mean, hell, I don't see that well in my own journeys. Um, I actually feel mostly. You know, Sandra Ingerman mostly hears. She's very clairaudient, you know, but it works for us. So understand that this, this um, fixation on seeing isn't necessary. Even though I do understand the language I'm going to be using today seems to imply that. Please know that it doesn't. Okay. So the visionary capacity in shamanism manifests in many forms. From the healing visions that come in our altered states to your own capacity for vision in the sense of seeing what is possible. As well as the capacity to see through the impossible and draw out your own uniqueness. So the regular practice of most basic shamanic skills like shamanic journeying, for example, allows us to develop not only our vision, but our intuition or our sense of um, seeing with all of our senses um, and our our non-five physical senses um, or our five uh, beyond our five physical senses. Um, So the practice of these shamanic skills also allows us to cultivate our perception or this is discerning accurately outside of yourself. What do you perceive is going on in the world around you? It also helps us to cultivate our insight or the ability to accurately sense what is going on within ourselves. So my question for today is why then do we as contemporary Americans in particular, but I think it's true for many um, contemporary people in the Western world. Why do we keep reaching incessantly for the next bigger and better vision, the next deeper altered state, the next shamanic teacher, or the next ayahuasca experience? We keep reaching as if the visions or the messages or the visitations that we have already received aren't good enough. We tend to abuse our visions. We abuse it both in its form as a rich resource we've received from spirit, but also in our willingness to trust and believe our own visions, our own dreams about the future. So we are all already receiving what we could use to transform our lives, even those of you that don't know how to journey. It is the nature of the human experience in this particular world that we are already receiving what we could use to transform our lives and to transform the troubles in the world around us step by step. But we want that one big event that's going to change everything, that's going to prove to us it's worth believing in and prove it by changing everything. We want angels with trumpets. We want drama. We want Hollywood. We want the big event. And what I see all around me in spiritual practices 
and shamanic practices is this constant reaching for the next vision, the next ritual, the next initiation, or the next healing. That will be it. That will clarify your soul's purpose. It will confirm you are the shaman, or it will bring you your soulmate, or do all these things all at once in one big vision. Okay, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but just a little bit. My point is that we keep reaching like a bunch of addicts reaching for heroin as if the capacity to change things is somehow outside of ourselves. We do not understand that the power to shape reality exists in our mind all the time, every day. You are doing it right now with whatever stories you are running in your head, what you believe you are giving power to, and what you give power to manifests. And you believe things both consciously and unconsciously. So we have the power right now to shape reality, and we are doing it. There's no off button. We are doing it with our minds. So as long as the visionary stays in the shadow, we will manifest a false reality based on lies like the lie of separation or the belief that there's not enough, um, which there's so much scarcity thinking um, in the contemporary expression of shamanism in America. It's frightening. There's such an abundance once we connect in with spirit and understand how the energy is truly moving and yet such scarcity because we are manifesting false stories based on lies and false beliefs. However, when we're willing to take the time to integrate our visions and cultivate our visionary energy, we can can begin to live the life that we love. And to shape a reality that our descendants would be honored to inherit. Or, as Charles Eisenstein likes to say in his beautiful book, we're able to shape a more beautiful world our heart knows is possible. So one of the many people who stopped me dead in my own addictive codependent tracks was Angelus Arian. And I consider Angelus one of my true teachers, though I did not work that much with her personally, Um, but I connected with her teachings through her writing. And I am dedicating this show to her because she died in April, just last month. And those of you who are not familiar with Angie's work, she was a scholar, a mentor, a powerful and practical shamanic teacher drawing from her own vast traditions and drawing cross-culturally from around the world. She was the author of several books, but one in particular, The Fourfold Way, and the retreats that evolved around those teachings offered a view into shamanism um, as a cross-cultural experience for many thousands of students over the years. And so this book, The Fourfold Way, offered a view into the cycle teachings in the very beginning of these teachings when there were no podcasts, I hadn't written anything, um, it was only just beginning. And this was a time 25 years ago when people needed a book. People needed to read about it because we culturally did not trust our own experience yet. And so we needed a book. And the beauty of The Fourfold Way was that Angie had written it. It was there for people to purchase and to read. Now, the cycle teachings 
are not the fourfold way. Let me be clear. I'm not co-opting Angie's work. Angie's work is brilliant and well worth immersing, immersing oneself into. It's, it's wonderful work and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, but I don't see why it wouldn't continue after, after her. It's truly a great legacy that she has left. The cycle teachings are a different body of work. They are similar in two ways. That they each emerge out of a sense of a study or, or an experience of understanding shamanism cross-culturally. Neither one of them is a traditional teaching but is born of um, a gathering an understanding, a touching into shamanism as a cross-cultural experience, as humanity's um, heritage. So the other thing that is similar about the two sets of teachings is that they focus on the cultivation of four particular archetypal energies. And these are the healer, the warrior, the teacher, and the visionary. So today, I'd like to talk about the visionary energy. And this is from the cycle, for the most part, the cycle teachings. But if you're familiar with Angie's work, you will see it woven in here. Um, So, the visionary. So this begins at the beginning. The beginning of no space and no time and nothingness. And nothingness dreaming. And so that dream is a vision, it's a story, it's a song, it's all of these things. But the important of that great dream is that it, it made physical reality as we experience it manifest, whatever that actually means. Okay, nonetheless, this is our shared experience. This is the, the playground in which our souls incarnate to come to understand whatever we're coming to understand. Okay, so there's this great dream, and it is, by its very nature, vision made manifest. Okay, so this this means that it's inherent in this great dream, this particular pattern of the vision or the dreaming being the way in which reality comes into existence. So the visionary then within each one of us is the manifestation of our relationship with that great pattern or that pattern in the great dream. Or another way to say that would be the visionary in each one of us is our relationship with the visionary archetype inherent in our universe to scale it down a little bit so we can grasp it a little more easily. In other words, there are coherent patterns in our universe that existed before people and will exist after people. And they touch everything. They imbue everything. And one of those patterns is the pattern of the visionary. It's a very powerful pattern. And it's inherent in the very beginning of everything. The dream emerging and out of the dream emerges reality. It's a very, very, very powerful aspect of our experience here. So the language, you know, how you talk about it, how you scale it up or down, it doesn't really matter. It's an archetypal pattern no matter what size you're viewing it on. And so regardless, what we need to understand is that the visionary makes the truth visible. And so the visionary in shadow makes what is false visible. So think about that. 
What else are we doing when we journey, whether to the drum or to ayahuasca or as a dancer at Sundance? When we seek vision, we seek to make the truth visible. So within us, our visionary capacity then is this relentless power within us that constantly extends an invitation to us to be who we are. In other words, the inner visionary relentlessly invites us to make our truth visible. When we express the inner visionary, we know and communicate our creative purpose or we know or communicate our life dream. We know, communicate our soul's purpose, um, our unique genius. Whatever words you want to use for it, it's the same idea that when we're expressing our inner visionary, we are communicating this unique and authentic aspect of who we are. And so this requires the following, that we act from our authentic self, that we are truthful and that we honor what Angie calls the four ways of seeing. And so I'm, I'm circling round to this at this time for a number of different reasons. Angie's death, an experience I just had last weekend. But also because in my own teachings, in my own teachings of the cycle teachings, there's this big buildup to the fourth year. And yes, we learn to do an, ancestral healing. And yes, that's a really big deal. And it's a very intense shamanic work. But there also is this kind of letdown. It's like people were waiting for the big event for the fourth year when they were finally going to have this big vision of their soul's purpose and know exactly why they were here instead of realizing that all the three years working up to the fourth year, they were cultivating their capacity to act from their authentic self, year one, that they were cultivating their capacity to be truthful, which is year two. The ability to move our energy out of the shadow self and stop lying to ourselves about what's really going on here. And um, that we're learning to honor these ways of seeing by simply using our shamanic skills year after year after year in deeper and deeper um, self-exploration and life exploration, you know, authenticity manifestation exploration. And so in the fourth year, there's this sort of letdown because we're about to learn to engage with the power of the dreaming and how to make our visions manifest. And the big answer is, well, you're already doing it. It's just you're doing it. You're manifesting stories you don't, that aren't authentic. And so the, the bigger work of the fourth year, which is really challenging work, is the dismantling of the false self. Because it is the false self is the big mechanism that we all engage in that keeps us out of the truth and authenticity that comes from a, from a deeply developed relationship with the inner visionary. In other words, as long as we're lying to ourselves, as long as we're telling childhood stories out of our family of origin or whatever, we, our visionary is coming out of shadow. It's that simple. Because the vision is always manifesting a reality. And if it's manifesting a false reality, then it's in shadow. It's really simple. And so the big letdown of the fourth year is you're already doing it. So the, 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 the teaching of the fourth year is how do I stop manifesting false stories 
and focus my capacity for vision and dreaming on the manifestation of authenticity and truth. And the challenge in that is that it requires the cultivation of integrity, of impeccability, of incredible warriorship around our very, very contemporary indulgence in our childlike feelings, childish feelings. I mean, it's all of this effort then to bring all the three years teaching to bear, grow up and get a life and do what we've come here to do in a really powerful and inspired and beautiful way. So back to the visionary. This is, this is why, because I, I'm, I'm, I've got students right now in the middle of the fourth year and I can feel the slump. I can feel the, ugh, the, the, the weight of the false self and the power of the false self, the sneaky, devious nature of the false self that convinces people in the fourth year they don't really want to do this. Eh, you, know, you don't really want to dismantle your false self. Being authentic is not such a big deal. It's really way more than she's making it, less than she's making it out to be. You don't really want to dismantle your false self. I've done such a good job keeping you alive. Why would you want to do that? I mean, it's really deceptive and deceitful. And it just takes all the wind out of people's sails because that false self is so powerful. And the, one of the great beauties of Angie's work, particularly the fourfold way work, is it just hit that lie head on, just right between the eyes. And that's what I loved about her work. She's such a beautiful storyteller, such a compassionate woman. And so, I don't know, gentle and loving in so many other ways. But man, this piece of her work was like a sledgehammer right between the eyes. Get it together, people. It's about your cultivation of your integrity and nothing else. So stop reaching for one more vision, one more ayahuasca experience, yet another trip to the mountains of wherever for whatever special shaman to do whatever special initiation. Recognize it is all about your integrity and doing the work day by day to cultivate it. So the four ways of seeing then that are necessary to really cultivate um, and develop the skills to do all of this are first uh, the intuition because this is the one that really allows us to wake, awaken the others. And so the intuition is always here. But we need to open up to it and start valuing it instead of believing we're crazy if we listen to our own voices. So the intuition or uh, should I say accuracy in intuition requires the cultivation of your truth cord. Our intuition resonates instinctually in our belly as knowing in our heart and as inspiration in our mind. These are all facets of our intuition. And each of these energy centers is linked by our truth cord. And it's important that you keep them all in line and online and this is this is the beginning of any shamanic practice worth its time and energy is that it brings all the facets of your intuition online you begin to use them and trust them and develop accuracy in your interpretation of them so then moving right along the second facet of vision is perception or seeing what is going on around you accurately so this is impossible to do 
when you are projecting on others or blaming yourself or others or triggered, which is causing you either to amp up or shut down. So the cultivation of perception then requires a clearing practice. And this is, this is needed to be able to fine-tune your perception, to actually see, feel, know accurately what is going on around you. So then the third facet of vision is insight or the ability to see what is going on within you. And this is really important because this is where the visionary development goes awry in a lot of teachings. They get that we're manifesting our story in our head. And so the idea is we'll just change your story and manifest that. Don't think about anything else and all will be well in the universe. But of course, that doesn't work that way because we are manifesting with our consciousness, which is what I just described, but also our unconscious self. So if our unconscious self is not aligned with our conscious self, then we are going to be manifesting two stories simultaneously and we will be incongruent and people will not trust us and we will not trust ourselves. And so the cultivation of insight requires the cultivating the ability to sense, see, feel, hear, whatever it is, what is actually going on inside of us. And to attend to that in a way that ultimately clears anything we find inside of us that is problematic and to allow that aspect of our energy then to align with that conscious dream we're dreaming. And so it's important, the insight piece is critically important because without developing it, our intentional visionary work will go awry. It can't not. And so this piece is very important. And this is the piece that I just spent three shows talking about, talking about cultivating emotional well-being. This is the piece in the clearing class that I teach, the actual energy clearing, and the reason I teach that class over and over again in many different places, because it is critical for the accurate development of all of our other shaman skills, or just all of our other intuitive skills, even if you don't want to be a shaman or a shamanic practitioner, you just want to develop your intuition. It's absolutely critical, this ability to accurately perceive what is going on inside and do something about it so that you can align the inside with the conscious vision. And then the fourth facet of vision is vision itself and that capacity for seeing in a way that involves and includes everything. So the big, a bigger vision, right? Okay, so why does cultivation of your inner visionary matter? Because each individual is original medicine. You are the answer to some prayer here on this planet. And you are not duplicated anywhere on this planet. And this is not karma. There are no do-overs. This is it for this medicine. Therefore, it is critically important to bring your creative spirit to bear on your life and to bring your original medicine out to make it manifest, to, to have a sense of your purpose here on this planet and to do it. Um, not to do so precludes healing from coming into our lives. In other words, living our soul's purpose is the cornerstone to our well-being. A huge amount of the heal of the um, illness, physically, mentally, and emotionally, is due to the fact that people are not focusing as primary in their life 
this exact stuff we're talking about, doing what you came here to do, living a life that you actually love and value and that has meaning for you. So our work in each life is to come fully forward with our gifts, with our talents, with our resources, with our uniqueness, with that original medicine and to use it to meet the tests and challenges of our time. In other words, the point isn't that if you do that, everything will be bunnies and fairies and roses and everything will be perfect and you'll meet your soulmate and you'll never have to pay rent and life will be absolutely flawless. That's not the point. The point is that you bring your resources to bear on your time, on the world around you, on your own life, and, and, and you allow what feels impossible to be made possible to bring the world into writer and writer relationship or humanity basically in writer and writer relationship with life in all of its many forms. This is what we're here for. And so how do we cultivate the inner visionary? So we begin by cultivating the courage to tell the truth without blame or judgment. And this is why the politically correct movement that swept America, that unfortunately was supported by sort of an immature manifestation of, of our psychotherapy field, which is, which is developing. You know, it, it, it's, it's a new field. So it went through a very immature phase, supported this ridiculous politically correct thing that got grabbed by uh, politics. And it, the reason that it is so disempowering and makes renders us so impotent is because it's not true it doesn't allow us to speak the truth and and it and it has this knee jerk reaction that anything isn't a happy thought is some form of blame or judgment instead of actually listening to each other and allowing people to speak the truth without assuming someone's truth is also blaming or judgmental. So to communicate through non-judgmental truthfulness maintains our authenticity and develops our inner vision and intuition. Nonviolent communication, for example, is founded in this same truth. It's a, it's a deep spiritual truth. It's not like I own it or Angie owned it. it it's inherent in the mystery schools. It's inherent in what it takes to live here in a good way. And so NVC, um, nonviolent communication, is founded on this same truth. So practicing NVC is a way to cultivate this ability to speak the truth without blame or judgment. And for me, it was learning clearing, these clearing practices that I teach. NVC wasn't happening yet. And then from the clearing practices, circling background in what conversations need to be had in a, in a more truthful way. So for me, you know, I began to learn to tell the truth in my 20s, studying this energy work, energy clearing work um, that I now teach. And this is I was studying at that time with Phyllis Pay in Berkeley. And frankly, I'm still learning about it because I'm still alive and I'm still engaging in in this effort to live with greater integrity and greater truthfulness. Okay, but what was important then in my 20s was the realization that I really didn't get the degree to which I wasn't telling the truth. In fact, I thought I was telling the truth until I started clearing my stories, clearing my projections, understanding when I was blaming myself and others. 
And that's when I really started to understand that I wasn't telling the truth. And I had to actually touch a truth before I understood, frankly, how full of shit I was. And I was normal. I was just an everyday, average 20-year-old spewing back into the world everything I had learned in my family of origin childhood experience. I didn't understand there was anything different. I didn't understand anything else was possible. I thought I was being truthful. But the important thing that I came to learn, bless Phyllis's heart and her patience, was that I was not remotely anywhere close to truth. In other words, my visioning capacity was completely hijacked by my personal stories about the world from my childhood. I came by all of it honestly, nonetheless hijacked. And my visioning capacity was being used by my projecting self, by my blaming self, by my reacting self, essentially by my false self. And the visionary, what that means then is that my visionary self was entirely in shadow. And what I saw in this work with Phyllis was that when I was caught up in my stories, I was doing two things. The first thing I was doing was manifesting the story, that I was generating the story. I was the story generator again and again and again, right? But the second thing I saw was that I really wasn't in my true integrity. And this was the piece that really got me. I was not in the integrity, in, in integrity with my true self or with my truth. And I realized I was actually living a lie. And it was the lie of the story that I kept manifesting again and again. And furthermore, the story I was projecting had very little, do, little to do with reality. And so this deeply bothered me. You know, I, I called out to the earth to help us know where we stand and what we stand for. Integrity was something I thought I had. And what I learned in this work, in this clearing work, is that I didn't, that I wasn't in integrity. I was living a lie, and I was the liar, and there was no one else to blame. So one of the two great pieces of Angie's work comes in here. Um, and this is where she's just so point blank right on. And she says there are four ways to maintain integrity. In other words, integrity isn't something you have or don't have. It's not something you choose or don't choose. Well, it kind of is that. But anyway, the point is we all have integrity. But if we don't use it and maintain it, we don't, we're not aligned with it. It's not strong. We can't feel it. We don't know where it really is. And so what in Angie's work, she says there are four things and they all must be happening if we are going to maintain our integrity as human beings. And the first is learning to tell the truth without blame or judgment. The next is to cultivate your freedom from patterns of denial and indulgence. So these two things are what I learned from Phyllis. These two things are what I cultivate in my life through the clearing practice. And this is what I teach um, in the cycle, but also in just weekend classes. So the third thing, though, in maintaining your integrity is to align your words and your actions. And the fourth thing is to honor yourself in equal proportion to your honoring of others. 
And these four things are critical if we're going to maintain integrity. And so they were impossible for me without this clearing practice that I learned in my, back in my 20s. And so integrity is something that must be cultivated and maintained. And this is why I don't see this energy clearing as something you do and then it's done or something someone else can do for you. My understanding of this level of clearing is it's something you continue to do throughout your life to maintain and cultivate your own robust and juicy relationship with integrity and impeccability and that um, ability to be the kind of person that can live your original medicine in a way that inspires others to do the same, that in your presence People wonder, how could I have been doing anything else? Of course I'm here to live my original medicine. That, that we can live in that way. So it's essential then if I'm to live authentically. And then it's also, of course, essential for me to do this if I'm going to endeavor to teach others to live authentically. That this is critical if I'm going to not be a hypocrite. And so this brings us then to the second really brilliant piece in Angie's teachings. And half of this is familiar because it's well known in psychotherapy. But where psychotherapy fails when it does fail, which is not all the time, but when it fails, it fails because it does not embrace the other half of things. Because psychotherapy comes out of the cultural belief that sees dualism as necessarily antagonistic. Sort of like by definition, it's antagonistic. It's polarizing. Whereas shamanism... Angie's work, my work, and the actual understanding of the visionary all comes out of an understanding of complementary dualism. So in the fourfold way, Angie states that every day we choose anew whether we will support our authentic self or our false self. And this is just such a powerful message. Every day you're choosing it. False self or authentic self? Which story are you going to tell? Which one are you going to live? And more importantly, which story is your unconscious self telling? So we are moved. This is Angie's work. And this is a piece that I have taken straight from the fourfold way and teach it myself because it is brilliant. And this is the piece that adds to where the therapy fails. So we, move, we are moved away from our authenticity by patterns of denial, which we know, and patterns of indulgence. So engaging in stories or patterns of denial or indulgence supports the false self, period. If you are doing that, you are supporting your false self. It's not debatable. It's a given. Okay. So in patterns of denial, we abandon ourselves to keep the peace rather than to communicate our feelings directly. We can notice ourselves doing this when we are avoiding certain people or issues by being unwilling to tell the truth and say what is so. Or by seeing what we want to see rather than accepting what is and giving voice to what is, to what we truly see. So the underlying fear when we are in a pattern of denial is the inability to handle conflict. And the unconscious need, and this is a child need. The unconscious need is to maintain peace, balance, and harmony 
at all costs. That's the child piece, that the children will sell their souls, in a sense, engage in soul loss to maintain peace, balance, and harmony. As adults, we need to be willing to do whatever it takes to create peace, balance, and harmony, but not at all cost. Now, this is the piece that Angie brought in. In patterns of deep indulgence, we hide our terror of our feelings or insecurity or vulnerability in exaggeration. This is really important for those of you that are, frankly, overly sensitive, that you overfeel everything. Because it means you're hiding your true feelings, your deep, honest feelings in the drama in the these in, so that the feelings of insecurity vulnerability are exa- are hidden in the exaggeration of the other things so i refer to this as you're working your own nerves and this is an important thing for me to learn not to do so i come by this uh belief in this from my own path and so this is the primary reason that i pass on um, this opportunity that I would pass on an opportunity to work with certain clients that is almost always because they are trapped in their patterns of indulgence and doing shamanic work with them is simply going to give them another story to overdramatize and they will not dial down, get grounded, get in their body and do the integration necessary. So in other words, it makes me a liar. So I convince these soul parts it's a good idea to come back and I bring them back and there's nobody home because the person who should be home to receive them and integrate them is lost in the drama that they've created themselves. So this is why I pass on working with clients is because they cannot get real. They're just trapped in the cycle of indulgence. And so we can notice ourselves in patterns of indulgence we are, when we are dramatizing or sensationalizing our experiences. And the typical shamanic one is, oh, my God, I'm possessed. Oh, my, you know, oh my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. These, these horrible shamanic things are happening. I'm being consumed by the archons. In this, this, this drama, but when I ask the person, so what is your energetic practice? You know, what do you do each day? Well, nothing. You know, nothing is being done in the real world to maintain energy. All that's happening is the energy is just getting stirred, drama after drama. So another way we know that we're in patterns of indulgence is when we're throwing tantrums (laughs) or making scenes or blowing things out of proportion. And this is a really um, easy thing to begin to get a handle on if you do the energy clearing. If you learn that skill, this is actually really easy to get a handle on. Um, And I speak from experience. Um, But the underlying fear when we're doing this is the fear of not being seen or conversely being seen, ironically. And it comes out of a need, a strong need for approval and acceptance. So both patterns of denial and patterns of indulgence are patterns of self-betrayal. And if you live your life without expressing your own original ideas or listening to your own being truthfully, then you will have betrayed yourself. That is not how you want to die. You do not want to die as you're leaving your body and getting a grip on the wholeness of your life and what you did and didn't do. You don't want to leave saying, oh, shit, I did it again. I betrayed myself. It's really challenging to realize that you're making your whole life up 
and that it's mostly a lie and that you're betraying yourself. It's really challenging to acknowledge that. And then it's really empowering. When you realize that you are making it all up, then all you have to do is learn to change the story and to clear that deeper story. And all you have to do is change the story. To All you have to do to change the story is learn to truly clear those personal energies that are holding on to the false story. And when you reclaim your storyteller, then you can reclaim the inner visionary. So in review, truth-telling is to say what is so without blame or judgment and without abandoning your ideas and your deep feelings. So we do this because truth-telling will collapse the patterns of indulgence and denial. And truth-telling does this by dissolving the polarities and paradoxes created by this, these patterns of denial and indulgence. So communication that has integrity also considers always timing, content, and context. So one of the nice things about podcasts is you can, you can create whatever timing you want to listen to whatever type of thing you're listening to. So the message then is brought into right timing for you. Now, the content and context are two different things. But anyway, it, it allows for a kind of communication that is personalized. It's kind, of, it's kind of nice. So to do this, though, this whole getting the timing and the content and the context right, we also have to consider our word choice, our tone of voice, and our body posture. We need to be congruent, in other words, when we communicate. And so any one of these things that is not consistent or congruent with our message um, or what we're saying is then we're not really truth-telling. So part of what this is really about is that the, the visionary as an archetypal energy can be in shadow. And so we, in other words, we have the capacity personally to be in shadow but we also have the capacity for our archetypal energies to be in shadow. Now, the archetype itself is fine. It's living beautifully in the universe, flowing through everything. If it's in the shadow, it's because it's run into some energy in us that blocks it from a true expression and sends it off into a shadow expression. So we are the shadow makers. The archetypes themselves are fine. So in other words, there is no wounded child archetype. There is the child archetype. It runs into our unresolved issues and manifests in our life in its shadow as the wounded child. Same thing with the visionary. So the visionary in shadow, frankly, is the liar. It's all about self-denial and self-abandonment. So the visionary in shadow denies his or her own truth and authenticity. The storyteller is completely hijacked by the false self. And so the false self now tells the story of reality that manifests your reality, which reinforces the story. And so you continue living your false self without any realization that is not true. So the false self activity denies, by definition, your authentic self. And so in Angie's work, she talks about three major mechanisms of self-denial, the false self, self-abandonment, and projection. In the cycle work, 
we really look at the false self as an entity in and of itself that's running the show for the self-abandonment and the projection and the patterns of denial and indulgent and everything else. But it doesn't really matter. The point is it's good work. Okay. So you wonder why I come back again and again and again incessantly in these podcasts to the clearing class. The next one is the end of this month, May 2014, May 30th through the whole weekend through June 1st in Portland, Oregon. Come and learn to do the clearing. Why would you not, given everything that I'm saying today? Anyway, the reason for that is because it helps us bring these three major mechanisms um, for self-denial self-abandonment um, out of running the show and helps to get our uh, – we get to steal our storyteller back and begin to bring the storyteller into the realm of our own authentic self. And so anyway, these three mechanisms are the fault self-system, which is created by editing our thoughts, rehearsing our emotions, performing what we think people want to see, or hiding our true selves. Whenever we pretend, edit, rehearse, perform, or withhold – we support the false self through which we develop the art of self-abandonment. The better a false self you have, the more seamlessly you will abandon yourself without even feeling the pain. Now, self-abandonment is, happens whenever we lack the courage to be and speak who we are. Uh, we move then into self-abandonment. Through truth-telling, we can collapse our self-abandonment patterns um, and that aspect of the false self. The false self is a little bit more complex than that, but truth-telling is critical, and gaining the capacity to actually tell our truth is enormously important. Okay, so projection. We know projection is at work when there is an energetic charge. Projections are unclaimed self-perceptions. Projections are parts of ourselves that are still disowned. And these, these energies are the exact sort of point or purpose of why we do the energy clearing. So I give thanks to Angie for a lifetime of great work that she offered the world. She helped countless people awaken their truth and their inner visionary so that they could change the story and bring their gifts to the world. Angie is the founder and president of the Foundation for Cross-Cultural Education and Research. She was an anthropologist, educator, award-winning author, and consultant nationally and internationally. She was a fellow of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, and her research and teachings have focused on values and beliefs shared by humanity cross-culturally and on the integration and application of multicultural wisdoms in contemporary settings. Her work reveals how indigenous wisdoms are relevant today in our families, in our professional lives, and in our relationship with the earth and our environment. So I thank Angie for her clarity of vision, for her creativity in many ways. She brought her teachings to us. And though Angie did just die, and this partly inspired this show, the real reason I wanted to do this show is, is very simple. Because I wanted to share how simple it can actually be. For all this great work Angie did and all the deep transform transformational work in the cycle teachings, truly living our visionary capacity can be very simple. It takes great courage, but it can be very simple. So just last weekend when I was in Boulder teaching this class, the clearing class and ancestral healing, um, a radio show listener joined us. His name is Dwayne. And... Um, 
Dwayne and I were two of the few people that were actually staying at the retreat center. Everybody else was commuting back and forth from Boulder and Denver. And so we got to sit at breakfast and just chat like normal people. Um, and it's really sweet. And in that time, I got to hear stories about him and he got to hear stories about me. And, and um, what came out of that was so deeply inspiring for me. I really was not just touched, but really inspired about the simplicity of the visionary if you are simply willing to not stop dreaming. And he wrote a poem about it, which I'm going to close the show with. But the important thing, the really concrete thing, in addition to the poem, but the really concrete thing he talked about in his life, and he worked in basically energy management, the maintenance and engineering of energy in big institutions like hospitals and universities and things like that. So real world, very, very real world, real world stuff. And as he came into his career as a young man, he saw all these things that everyone said were, was impossible. But he really believed that they needed to change and that they could change. And he didn't know how, but he knew they needed to and they could for a better world. And he made a list. And by the time he retired 25 years later, that list was manifest or in the process of being manifest, not just in his life, but in his industry. And all because he refused to believe it was impossible and he refused to start, stop dreaming of a different reality. So I want to share Duane's poem. It's called Walter Mitty. There's a movie out by that name. I read the story in third grade. I worried, worried that I would be Walter Mitty, never getting anything done, because I was always dreaming, always somewhere else, doing what my present body wasn't doing. I never got over it, always imagining, dreaming, seeing how things should be, which always seemed impossible. Then, watching circumstances change in impossible ways, one after another, those dreams became realities. Now I learn from my shamanic teachers that dreaming brings existence into being. I wonder what might have happened had I known this sooner. Still, every day I dream. I dream of a world at peace, oneness, recognized, realized. Another impossible dream? Another impossible possibility? So I want to thank Duane for sharing his stories with me in the morning over breakfast and for sharing this poem and giving me permission to share it on the show. I am deeply, deeply inspired by Duane, uh, by his life and his impact on the world. And I thank Angie. And I thank all of those people who inspire me um, in my life. Some days are not easy, and it's hard sometimes to remember to hold the vision, but there's always something, if we keep our visionary eyes open, there is always something that will remind us that we are the dreamers, dreaming the reality that is here and that which is coming. So I give thanks to the ancestors for gathering round us, the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone, for listening.